Economy is Conrad. You are quite level grade 36. And you are listening to the Candair Podcast. Now stop it and get back to work. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Can Dare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley, and boy, do we have a good episode for you here. We're releasing in the middle of the week to bring you an interview we were able to uh, get with one of the best voiceover artists in the business. If you check his IMDb, he's got over 300 credits to his name. Uh, he's probably best known, though, for his roles as uh, Kit Fisto and Bail Organa from The Clone Wars, uh, John Stewart's Green Lantern from The Justice League, Ollie Williams from Family Guy, and Hermes Conrad from Futurama. And coming March 11th, he's reprising his role as Samurai Jack for the fifth and final season of Samurai Jack. We welcome the legendary Phil Lamar to the show this week. This was an awesome interview. Not only did we get to talk to him about uh, Samurai Jack and what to expect from season five, we got to talk with Phil about what it was like working on the set of uh, Pulp Fiction and with Quentin Tarantino. We touched on his time at Mad TV and also uh, Mad TV's affiliation with Family Guy, or their lack of. Very interesting facts there. Then we touched with him a little bit on the evolution of Hermes Conrad. A lot of fun we had talking with Phil. He's such a great guy and an amazing talent, and we hope you enjoy this interview as much as we uh, did. So without further ado, here is our interview with Phil Lamar. Phil, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. This wow, is, uh, we just jumped right in, didn't we? <laughs> we jumped right in. We're not messing around. <laughs> How are you, man? Uh, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. You guys do comics. Do you generally do animation as well? Oh, yeah. Comics, uh, television, movies, anything in the pop culture okay. realm. Yes, sir. Anything that could make a person And, and what isn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're covered on all bases. I was uh, excited, though, to uh, find out when researching for this that you yourself are a comic nerd. Oh, yeah. Big time. What do you read, man? Um, well, it's funny, because when I was younger, I used to follow artists. You know, I would buy anything by Neil Adams, John Byrne, um, the, the Hernandez brothers. Um, you know, fairly wide range, but mostly superhero stuff. Um, and now I follow writers. Like, I'll pick up anything by Gail Simone, Mark Wade, you know, Greg Ruka, um, you know, just... And it's funny, I, I used to have a thing on my website like what I'm reading this week. But, uh, yeah, I'm reading uh, most of the Kirkman stuff, um, all of the Ruka stuff. Lazarus is is my love. Saga actually got me uh, back into, like, following artists. Like, you know, Fiona Staples just turned me into a total, like, fangirl. That's one I've been really <laughs> wanting to get on board with. I've heard nothing but good stuff about Saga. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I'm not, not up and down. I think Brian, Brian Vaughn is really you know, really, really talented, but like, I don't fall in love with everything he does. Um, you know, like a, like an Ed Brubaker, like, uh, like he's never ceased to blow me away. But then when he started doing saga, I mean, the world building and the characters just on a whole other level. Right. When you can sort of feel the influence like that and the, the attention to detail. And when a story really draws you in, I think it's because it, 
it surrounds you. You know, it right. really stands out when an artist yeah. can pull that off. Well, and but sometimes you know there are people who do great character stuff without building worlds. You know, right? Um, and you can appre- certainly appreciate it on that level. But when they do it, when they do both, you know, it's it's amazing. And and it's funny because it's sort of what what we're doing with Samurai Jack. Because I mean, you want to talk about world building, you know? And it's like the first series built the world, and now this ser- this you know run of it is going so deep on a character level that, you know, it's just going to, it's got everything. Plus, you know, it's action that can't be touched. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> There's something fantastic about when the, when the focus of a show or a story narrows in like that and you get to walk into a new yeah. scenario, knowing what you already know and understanding, you know, how much that builds what you're going to learn. It's, right. it's a fantastic shift. Well, it's, it's funny because uh, in an interview the other day, Gendy was talking about how television was different when we started the show than it is now. You know, we, we couldn't tell the story the way we're telling it this time around back then because, like most, you know, television and to a certain degree movie franchises, there was an expectation that each story was self-contained. You can't trust the audience to know anything, you know. So the only, you know, the amount of backstory is limited to what you can put in the theme song. <laughs> and then you've got to go back to zero at the end of every episode. But now, you know, people are binging entire series. <laughs> right, and right. It, it's novel, you know. You can tell an intricate story with twists and turns that goes from episode to episode. You know, characters can change and grow or die, you know, and now nobody blinks an eye at that. You know, no one says, you can't do that. The audience will, will you know, they'll fly into a rage and smash their TVs. I mean, I don't know what the executives thought. <laughs> Probably about that. Yeah. <laughs> We're taking advantage of uh, the new paradigm. That's freaking that awesome. That is awesome. It's, it's almost like this next run of the show is coming about because conditions are right for it. It's like it was just the right amount of time for it to become this new thing. I love that. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's sort of strange for me as somebody who started in show business in the old media age and now still doing it in the new media age, and it's wildly different. I mean, I remember working on TV shows that got canceled and they literally disappeared off the face of the planet. They, like, you know, took all the tapes and, like, demagnetized them to tape other shows on top of them. It was gone. <laughs> now, anything you ever do is still up there somewhere on some bit torrent or whatever, <laughs> you know. This is awesome to see Samurai Jack coming back, though. I mean, I... So many people have been waiting for this. It's one of the shows, like uh, some of the others you've been a part of, that has its initial run, disappears, gets this huge cult following, and then comes back. And it looks like he's, uh, well, it's like 50 years later Something for the character. Like he's, he looks in a that lot range. darker. And it looks like he still hasn't yeah. found his way home. Are you able to divulge any information on uh, what we're to expect March 11th? Well, just what you said. It, it is 50 years after the last episode of the original series. Jack has not found his way home. Um, as far as he knows, Aku has destroyed all of the portals and ways he could have gone home. And he has been stuck in this world that's not his own for the last 50 years. And because of 
you know, the effects of his time travel, he hasn't aged normally. He hasn't, you know, basically died or just lived to 90-whatever years old. He's still functionally the same age he was, but he's also gone through 50 years of days stuck. Mm-hmm. And what, what effect does that have on someone, even somebody like him, with his you know, heart, with his soul, with his training? Even after 50 years, it affects even him. And the, these new episodes and this story you know, are rooted deeply in that. It's been a, a really amazing and challenging you know, return for me. Sure. That's what I was just going to ask you, you know, how was it for you uh, reprising the character? But it uh, sounds like you had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I love working with Gandhi. He's one of those great directors that makes you feel like everything you do is great, yet still has a suggestion on how you can be better. <laughs> right. And you go, yes, that's right. That would totally be better. Yeah, let me do that. Let me do it again. You know, and I have, I have a lot more lines this time around. <laughs> <laughs> Always a plus. <laughs> Oh man, well this is awesome. I cannot wait for this to come out really as well as everyone be else. Yeah. Excited for I'm rushing trying to catch up on those old episodes, so I'm right there when it uh, comes out. So looking forward <laughs> to that. You guys have seen the first two yet? Have you seen them? I have. Right. Have you got not gotten to? I, oh, I've I've, I've seen some of it and it was a long time ago, so I need to like refresh it all in my head. So that's, this new That's the same way what I'm doing right now too. Yeah. No, the the new episodes. Yeah, definitely watch the old series, because um, it's not necessary, because the concept is, and the show has always been simple at its core, a samurai lost in time trying to get back. And it's funny, because that's still the core of it. But these new episodes are just so good. I mean, <laughs> the visual storytelling and the, the emotional depth, it's, it's going to blow your mind. And there's twists and turns that yeah, I'm I'm excited for people to see it. I can't wait for right the now. HD, the HD aspect where it's going to be widescreen too. Because watching the old ones, you just got the regular aspect right. ratio, so it's a lot smaller. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> it makes a difference. It does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has ruined me because I was like excited for it as something on the horizon I can look forward to. Now it's something I desperately need right now and right. can't get. <laughs> the whole dynamic has shifted. <laughs> Hold in there, Jake. Well, that's coming. actually going to be something Something interesting is that, you know, people are going to binge the entire old series, then come to this one, and it's going to be week by week. <laughs> yeah. Teach him a little discipline. Like, <laughs> I, I had seen like so, one, yeah. one of the commercials that said a limited engagement. So is it like a full season's worth of episodes that we're going to be getting? Or is it like, can, can you tell us it's any? Ten episodes. Ten episodes. Awesome. Uh, that I can tell you. It's ten episodes. Oh, that's I can't it. wait. Uh, a few other uh, of Absolutely. your roles I want to touch on before we have to let you go here. First of all, Pulp Fiction, one of the most <laughs> iconic movies of all time, and not to mention uh, your scene, you know, not only in the car, but in the, uh, in the, the hamburger scene there with Brett. Iconic right. movie scenes. And can you just set up what it was like to, one, film those scenes? Because the amount of tension that pours out of the screen <laughs> is like sickening. You feel like you're there. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, can you like kind of set it up? Like, what was it like to film that? What kind of direction were you getting? What was it like for you? Well, that, that scene in particular was a wonder because that's the scene I auditioned with. Oh, um, wow. 
is my character, you know, has like five lines scattered over, you know, 20 minutes of film. So Quentin wasn't going to have me audition with that, hey, here's one line. No, he wanted to <laughs> see you act. He wanted to have a scene. So in my audition, I read Jules and Quentin read the Frank Whaley part, Brett. And we did that scene together. And I mean, I got to tell you, his writing is an actor's dream. It jumps <laughs> off the page into your head. Like, you run through it three times and you already have it memorized because each line is the line that should come next. Right. You know, it just flows naturally. Even though it's not real, it's no, it's no circumstance you could ever actually live, but he makes it real. Um, and so when we're doing that scene in the set, because we have this uh, apartment set and there's a bunch of us in there, and Sam Jackson is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. You know, I had never met him before. Um, until we had to rehearse for that for um, the scene, and he's just the nicest, most normal guy. <laughs> until they say, "All right, we're ready to go," and then all of a sudden, with no, you know, no BS, no like breathing exercises or anything, he just transforms. Like one second you're talking to him about golf or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're looking into somebody else's eyes. You know. Mm. And I remember we're running the camera, you know, they're doing the wide coverage. And at one point, you know, because we had rehearsed it where I had my one line in the thing. It's like, he says, where's the briefcase? He says, I start to say, it's over there. He's like, I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. <laughs> and then he would go back to Brett and start talking back to Brett. And as we're rolling, he says that line to me. And he s continues to stare at me, which he never did in rehearsal. Ooh. And he, but he's still doing his lines to Brett. But he's just staring at me. And I'm like, and I get physically scared. Well, I had to piss my pants. Like, oh, at sure. first, I'm just like, what, 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 what did I do something? Why is Sam still looking at me? What, <laughs> but, and I, like my heart is pounding. You know, it was real fear. It, it was weird because I still knew it was him. I knew the gun wasn't loaded. But the anger and the fact that just what he was projecting I felt it, you oh. know, and that whole, yeah, that whole room, the tension that you can, somehow the camera was able to capture it, but we felt it. It was actually the, the biggest bummer for me personally. A bummer. Was we shot that whole day. Well, we shot that whole day and I was feeling it. I, the sweat was under, you know, the fear. And they said, all right, and that's a wrap. First thing tomorrow morning, close up on Phil. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm feeling it. But now I got to go home, take a shower, come back at six in the morning and be where I am right now. Oh, <laughs> all right. Give him some time to lose the moment. Here. Right. It's funny. You uh, mentioned exactly. that scene in particular where you were right after Brett's killed. You know, if your part wasn't there and this isn't just me kissing your ass. So <laughs> I, I, I really think this genuinely think this. But if your scene wasn't there, you know, and Samuel L. Jackson kills Brett. You know, the scene starts right. would start to wind down. It's your reaction there that instills, I think, to the audience. You should be freaked out. You know, you yeah. should be really at the edge of your seat. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at. You can just really feel it. It's bravo. No, no, that's, 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 Quentin's, that's Quentin's genius because he does all of this flip, glib, you know, like because so many movies have guys with guns who blow people away. Like, you know, you know, the Schwarzenegger, you know, catchphrases and all that. But how many movies do that and then show you someone who witnessed it? 
and who felt it. It's stylized, but it's still a consequence. Like nobody else does that. Right. You know, that to be fantastic. a fly on the wall would be amazing. <laughs> You know, I've got it's it's kind of a dorky question, but I have to ask. I get the impression Mr. Tarantino knew the movie was going to be big, but did you know how big this movie would be when you had auditioned and, and performed for it? No. No. I thought it would do like uh Reservoir Dogs at eight million, I thought we'd make ten, twelve. I mean I I literally joked on set one day, like well, I guess they could try to sell it like a big summer blockbuster. <laughs> Uma Thurman, John Travolta, Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. Right up until the heroin overdose and the anal rape. Could <laughs> <laughs> hold some fun. I, I honestly thought that would be a deal breaker on being a hit movie. Show, and that's why I don't run a studio. <laughs> that and many other reasons. It was just a, a very first of its kind kind of movie, I think. Just sure. the, you know the sequencing and everything. It was. What could you compare it to that came before? You know? Nothing really. It was it was fantastic. It is fantastic. Well, and that's what's weird for people who are you know in their twenties now watching it. They can appreciate it, but not the same way that people in their forties who knew what movies were like before Pulp Fiction. Right. You know, it, it really is sort of, you know, an, a BCAD sort of line. Like movies before Pulp Fiction, movies like Pulp Fiction didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Now you get things like that all the time. You know, Memento and Usual oh, yeah. Suspect or, and yeah. blah, 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 blah. Pioneers. But, yeah. But, <laughs> really set the tone. Yeah. But that, that's old man talk. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're all about nostalgia here. So that fits right, right in. Right. Now, i got to uh, touch on Mad TV just a little bit. I mean, this is uh, where I first saw you. I think a lot of people may have, other than Pulp Fiction, uh, if they didn't see there first. But I had never missed an episode of SNL until Mad TV came out. It was so much (laughs) hipper. It was uh, more energetic. It was just amazing. Uh, Lord Expectations was one of my favorite things on there. Uh, Oh, cool. The UBS man, of course. Uh, And i got to say, you're uh, Michael Jackson was spot on and did he ever make a response to that no no, no. The, the closest we ever got to a response was uh somewhere around season three or four latoya came on the show and guested and i did my michael in a scene where she was playing herself I remember that. and the one thing she said was that's really good but michael's never that loud <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, to him, I was like, oh, that's right. When he does this voice, he's not doing it to an audience. That's just his voice. Or he has a microphone. And, and I realized, because I think, uh, was it Jermaine was there? One of the brothers came with her. They all speak very softly, very quietly. I'm like, wow, I guess they were all that afraid of their father. Um, but, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do, although... We quickly, you know, by the time I was in my last year at Matt, it was getting to the point where he was beyond parody. Because every time you come mm. over the sketch, something would happen in his real life that was more insane than the sketch. <laughs> you know, I kind of feel like that way with people who are trying to parody Trump now. Like, yeah, good luck. What can right. you possibly do? Yeah. <laughs> you can't write this stuff, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Amazing. Now... An interesting fact I found when researching for this, another show you provide the voice for Ollie Williams on Family Guy was originally pitched oh, yeah. to Mad TV back in the 90s to play like a shorts between skits. Is, is this accurate? 
Yes, that's in fact why Alex Borstein and I are on the show. There was a Fox executive who was helping Seth, you know, as he was first starting out with this, I, this fam, what would become Family Guy, and they at one point pitched the Mad TV producers to have it as interstitials the way The Simpsons started out on the Tracy Ullman show. And the producers, for whatever reason, said no. And if I was them, I would have been kicking myself in the ass constantly for the last 20 years. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. I could have been James Brooks. I could be James Jackson Because <laughs> um, I guarantee you, Family Guy has generated way more income than Mad TV ever will. <laughs> when that didn't happen, Seth just put together like a mini 15-minute version of the first episode. And... You know, as a favor to this executive, Alex and I did a couple of voices in that 15-minute pilot presentation. And Seth wrote us checks out of his little, you know, personal checkbook, you know. And then, you know, $250 million later, mm. you know. I hope uh, I get to use that phrase like someday. That. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> uh, Me Mantry. too. Me right. too. I had to ask. I, I've read so much stuff on the internet, and we've been in the same situation where I was like, "Oh, I saw you've done this." No. <laughs> or is this true? No. You're but like I, one for three. It's a new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel good today. Right. We're all here. <laughs> now another uh, one of your uh, iconic roles, Hermes Conrad on Futurama. I think every one of us here die-hard Futurama fans. And uh, oh, I see you nerds. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Oh yeah. my god. That's a fact. <laughs> I gotta go change my pants. Yeah. No. <laughs> the voice that you give this character is phenomenal and is a okay. testament as to what makes a great voice actor. A good voice actor, you can a lot of times pick their voice out of their characters. And not the case with you. I had no idea you were Hermes Conrad for the longest time. I mean, there's no inkling of your voice in his. It's it's amazing. It's, I'll admit, same oh. thing happened to me. It was I saw an interview and I was like, "Oh my god!" It just hit me all at once. Yeah, how did I pick up on that? You before? don't hear Phil Lamar. <laughs> yeah, you don't see his name on the opening oh, credits, but that's it. Right? <laughs> Who pays attention to the credits? Come on. <laughs> We're watching the show by that point. <laughs> so, for this voice, was there any big preparation? How did you prepare this voice? Where Where does the voice come from? No, actually, it was just sort of. Well, it was originally a different voice. Um, I mean, Hermes was a little higher, and he sounded something like this. But originally, he wasn't even Jamaican. He was, uh, I think he was originally called Dexter, and he was just uh, an accountant. Um, but then they realized they had too many, but Matt had too many characters whose names ended in ER. Dexter, <laughs> Bender, Homer, you know, so they changed it to Hermes. Um, but I don't think it was until episode three or maybe four that they came up with the idea of making him Jamaican. Really? If you look at those early episodes, there are, are com there's no Jamaican references. We we did go back and re-record the the lines. Oh, okay. You know, with the Jamaican accent, but writing-wise, the Jamaican didn't come in until later in the first season. Um, and I think over the years. The voice has changed. I think before he started out more like this, um, and part of it was, you know, I began, first I was doing it, you know, heavy Jamaican accent, and they kept saying, Les, we need, it's not clear enough, because, you know, more than the accent getting across, you want to get across the jokes. Right. Um, 
And so I think over the years, he got fatter, <laughs> at least vocally, <laughs> and the accent got a little thicker. They, they began to write for the accent. You know, the great lion of Zion. You know, great <laughs> gorilla of Manila. That oh, my phenomenal. God. That's and amazing. If you don't mind, I had a question uh, on the subject of working on Futurama. I always wondered, when you're recording your lines for your character, do they have you and, and the other voice artists um, sort of conversing in a room together, or is it more of a separate recording that gets added together afterward? No, no. We're, Futurama was all group records. Oh, that's fantastic. I know, in my experience, the shows that are really writing-driven, um, and especially comedies like that with, the, with that brilliant writing staff, they want to hear how all the jokes and how all the dialogue plays together. Okay. You know? So they get us all in there. To, and, you know, it's, I mean, Billy West, Maurice LaMarche, John DiMaggio. We spent 10 years together. They're some of my really good friends. Um, and they're all so amazingly talented that it's, it's always fun, you know? I mean, technically, it's work. It's our job. But <laughs> it's just fun. I can imagine. I, I imagine just like looking into the window into that recording studio where there's so much talent constantly. It'd be like staring directly into the sun. I'd have to mm. like look away for a couple <laughs> of seconds. I can't handle it. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. I miss that show. I miss the show, but uh, we still yeah. have it. It's all well, on. Right? I know. Well, I'm, tr- I'm trying to put together a, a thing of my own that hopefully I'll get. Uh, some or most of those guys to to do voices for me, my own little animated thing. But really, that's a, a little down the road. Yeah. Oh boy, you've piqued I'll be, my curiosity. I'll be calling you for an, for an interview about that in a in a, in a few months. <laughs> do not hesitate. <laughs> yeah, please don't don't hesitate. I mean, that's what. Right. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Let me clarify. We want you to call. Right, is the you. point <laughs> we're trying to make. Before we go, I, something I always ask voice actors when we have you guys on. What's some advice you could give someone aspiring to get into the voice acting field? Don't be misled by the title. It's, people say voice acting, but the acting comes first. Um, doing a funny voice is a, a small fraction of what's required. It's the ability to take some imaginary circumstance or an animation script or whatever it is and make that real. That's acting, and that's what your job is. That's your main job. If you can do that with funny voices, great. You know, there are a lot of people, you know, who are great voice actors who don't change voices all over the place. You know, um, my friend Steve Bloom, or, you know, Mako, who was uh, the voice of, you know, Aku. They have really, really distinctive voices, but it's their acting that allows them to do hundreds of characters, even with that really unique, distinctive voice. You know, that's my main advice to, to people, because a lot of people think, oh, I just I talk all the time. Why should not get paid for it? You know? <laughs> I have had that thought Not on a thing. number of occasions. Yeah. Yeah. I think anybody with a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Advice to uh, to take to the bank, I think. At the extreme risk of sounding like a kiss ass. That's my favorite answer to that question I think we've ever got. Thanks. Well, no, man. Thank I you. Rob Paul. <laughs> Thank you. This has been amazing. And can we top this interview with a uh, my manwich? Oh, sure. My manwich. <laughs> 
All right, everyone, and there you have it, our interview with Phil Lamar. Uh, We hope you enjoy as much as we did. I want to thank Phil for taking the time to talk with us and also the kind staff over at Adult Swim for making this possible. Be sure to check out his website, philamar.com, and follow him on Twitter at philamar. And don't forget, Saturday, March 11th, the final 10 episodes of Samurai Jack Season 5 will be coming out. So set your DVRs, and if you don't have DVRs, make sure you do not miss it. Then after you do that, head over to candarepodcast.com and check out what's going on there. You can check out past episodes, uh, watch some videos, check out our Hall of Justice. A lot of cool stuff happening there. And you can go to our new merch button and uh, buy shirts, coffee mugs, all kind of canned air swag so you can either head over to society the number six.com forward slash canned air pod or once again just head to canned and click that merch button uh, don't forget to find us on twitter at canned air pod and on instagram at can underscore air uh, so much going on out there what else uh, youtube we have some stuff on youtube we haven't added anything in a while but we're heading into the con season so keep an eye out there it's uh, sure to be updated with more stuff as we get it so i think that's going to do it for this week so until next time i am jeremy collie and thanks for listening Jimmy? Hey, it's Alpine! While you're waiting on your negligent parents to find you, why don't you pull out your mobile device and get on candarepodcast.com? Shoot, it may even help him find you. Well, that makes no sense. Hey, what are you doing near my son? Time to split. G.I. Joe! Or Hermes... Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.